When, when he kept insisting, like, no, but they have a gender, what I think he meant by that, and we didn't go into a whole conversation because we wanted to actually play the game. It's uh, so like, but, what genitalia do you have? Oh, character yeah. Has. Okay. Right. I so, think you're right that it really depends on the situation, the person yeah. you're talking to, and how much you want to, like, delve in and be like, what are you really, I mean, that would be, you know, what are you really trying to ask here? Like, yeah. Why does it matter? And then if they go there, when it comes to the genitalia, then that's, you know, depending on how far you want to take the conversation again it's like um you know why does it matter unless you know that want to know this person intimately um and unless like you said Dedeker, that would just be more like then that would just be its own conversation right separately for itself right if you're happy with the same old ways of dating if you enjoy sucking at communication and you have no desire to improve your romantic life then our podcast might not be for you but if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships broaden your sexual horizons develop a better understanding of yourself or learn more about non-monogamy then you've come to the right place i'm jace i'm emily and i'm dedeker and this is the multi-amory podcast On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about non-binary gender identities with Dara Hoffman-Fox. Dara Hoffman-Fox, LPC, is a queer-identified gender therapist in private practice in Colorado Springs, Colorado. As a subject matter expert on transgender and non-binary issues, Dara is the creator of the Conversations with a Gender Therapist YouTube channel, as well as the author of the Amazon bestseller, You and Your Gender Identity, A Guide to Discovery. We share a publisher also. Another oh, really? I didn't realize yeah, that. I know. We didn't actually realize that until, until really? quite recently. We were talking over email. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's yeah. fantastic. How cool. Yeah. No, I'm really excited that, that we've got Dara back on the show after, yeah. after three years. After three years, after far too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really great. Um, definitely a lot of stuff that I learned, even as someone who feels like I have a decent handle on this, I definitely learned a lot in this conversation. And mm-hmm. um, I think that for a lot of people out there, hopefully you'll also get something out of this that that learning never stops, right? Oh, always, always. Never. Yeah, let's get to the interview. Let's do it. All right, so we are here with Dara Hoffman Fox. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me back on the show. And nice <laughs> to meet you, Emily, uh, since we didn't catch each other the last time. Uh-huh. I know, unfortunately, back in 2015. I know, my goodness. Gosh. As we I, all oh, realize today, it's been a long time. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm so happy your show is like, like, it seems like thriving even more than ever. Thank you. Yeah, it's really a miracle. <laughs> Indeed it is. It's just, I mean, not to be like, I don't want to have any kind of negative undercurrent there or anything like that. It's, it's more a miracle just between um, scheduling three people's different schedules. Um, yeah. That we're able Especially to when y'all record. are in Japan. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, we were, before we started recording, we were looking and Dara was on our show back in 2015, episode 28, which is baffling to me because honestly, if it's, if it's been two weeks since we recorded something, I don't even remember what we recorded. Um, <laughs> if it's so been it yesterday, really, I don't even know. It, yeah, exactly. It really feels like 200 years ago, but I'm so glad that we've been able to stay in touch and stay in contact and that here we are again. Um, so, Dara, we wanted you to come on the show specifically because um, we wanted to talk about uh, non-binary identities. You know, not too long ago, we did an episode specifically about 
you know, gender identities and gender terminologies just to kind of help answer some people's questions and help bring some people up to speed. We've done a number of episodes over the course of the show about gender-related topics. Um, and I think the way that I wanted to dive into this today was with language and terminology. Um, I've noticed that a lot of people, ourselves included, have sometimes made the mistake of lumping together transgender and non-binary, sometimes using them interchangeably or sometimes using one as an umbrella term for the other, which is not necessarily correct. And so I wondered if you could talk about, you know, when someone tosses out the term non-binary, what kind of people are we referring to? Well, and just to let you know, like the terminology question is comes up so often and it's it's not easy for anyone mm. um, even for myself as a gender therapist so um, so certainly I think on and off we can address that throughout the interview um, but the most basic way I like to explain it is that think of it as um, when it comes to gender the binary being male and female and non-binary is the third option that is definitely simplifying it but that's what I want to do for the moment so that we can begin the conversation there. So if someone does not feel that they are male and they do not feel they are female, there's this umbrella called non-binary that people can fall under. And then within that umbrella, there's all sorts of different options uh, underneath that. Okay, got yeah. it. Okay. So, and, and then just to, to differentiate that, that transgender is means that you were assigned one gender at birth, but that you identify with the other one. So it's still kind of a, a binary, but is that correct? Am I, am I understanding uh, no, that correctly? You, know, you are correct in that it's like, what does transgender <laughs> actually mean? Um, because it has definitely, I've noticed it's evolved a lot over the Yeah, years. I was going to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And I heard you address that in the other episode about gender, which I thought was really awesome, actually. Um, and so nowadays I've noticed that a lot of people, not everybody, are reserving the word transgender for those, like you said, um, Jace, who uh, do not um, align with their gender assigned at birth. And they identify with, like you said, the other gender, the opposite gender. Mm. Um, even and, and additionally, to the extent of taking medical steps to remedy this through hormone therapy, and um, surgeries. And so again, this is, I want to make sure everybody knows this is not for everybody who uses the word transgender. Um, I've noticed that more people are using the word trans to kind of take it down a notch in terms mm. of saying, like for myself, I would identify myself as trans. I don't feel comfortable saying that I am transgender. Uh, and it could be just because through the work that I do, I'm like, no, for me, my definition of transgender is that you are now going through um, the, the changes like with changing your legal name and going, like I said, going through medical intervention. Um, that's just my own definition of it. So most important, it's always important to ask the person if you're dealing, right. you know, if you're interacting with somebody, how right. they identify. But in generally in speaking, transgender has kind of taken the place of the word transsexual, which is mm -hmm. used very seldom anymore but but some people especially those who are older still use the word transsexual to mean i am not only you know you know transitioning from my assigned gender at birth to the opposite gender but i'm using you know medical intervention to do this kind of wanting people to know this is how serious this is um it's, it can be a very clinical term so i think that's mm -hmm. why 
it's not used as often as it used to be because it's been used negatively as well. Of course. Mm, right. Of course. No, that's that's really interesting. I That's honestly the first time I've ever heard a distinction made between saying trans and transgender. Yeah. I assumed it was like saying poly and polyamorous where it's just kind of people mm. do it to save some syllables when they're speaking. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's really interesting to make that distinction though. And yeah. that's that's really valuable for me to know. I'm, I'm kind of trying to wrap my head around like, oh gosh, like, thinking of all these conversations I've had of like, which one were they using? What one did they mm. mean? Like that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting just to have language that belies the fact that there is such a spectrum of experience, um, which I think is always the thing that we run into with the very limited English language is that there's more human experience than there's labels for it. Um, and that comes down to gender, comes down to relationships, comes down to sexuality, all of those things. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> And to that point, um, recently I read an article that talked about uh, how being non-binary doesn't mean that you can't have another gender identity. Um, so I wondered if you could discuss that a little bit, because in the article they talked about being a non-binary woman. Um, so as that woman was their way of describing like how they were socialized and how they grew up and non-binary was um, the descriptor for how they didn't identify with one gender versus the other. So I'm, I, that was news to me because I didn't realize that one could identify with both or, you know, multiple genders or, or non-binary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you make a great point that again, when it comes down to it um, I've noticed that there's so many different, options when it comes to identifying as non-binary. Uh, so for instance, agender, or there's a word, um, neutral, it means to feel like as if you are without gender. Mm. And I know for myself, like I spent some time trying to figure out if that's how I felt about myself being non-binary. And it's still like, even for me, it's like an elusive sort of, you know, do I have a gender or not a gender? And I think I've concluded that I feel like I do have a gender and I even concluded that my gender is Dara for right now. Yes. Um, and it might always be that because I feel like that you said Dedeker language, like how am I going to find the right word to describe it? And I think it is that my gender identity feels like me. Um, it is also consistent. So I do not feel like I'm gender fluid. And there are those under the non-binary umbrella who do feel like their gender identity tends to um, be fluid and it can change whether it's day to day um, or less or more often than that. So when it comes to this person that you're talking about who identifies as a non-binary woman, like you said, for themselves, they say, you know, this word woman is because of this. And then this word non-binary is because of this. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really neat how you can just really just sort of put together all these words and make this phrase. Um, sometimes I throw in the word queer for myself because I feel like queer, like I'm non-binary and queer identified because queer encapsulates not only my gender identity but the fact um that for my sexual orientation i used to identify as a lesbian but now that i'm not i know i'm non-binary doesn't really make sense for me to say i'm attracted to the same sex mm -hmm. so i have not been sure what word to use for that so i think queer can um, be an umbrella once again for both of those so i think that's one of the bonuses of being non-binary is that then they're just pick your words, put them together, <laughs> then make a sentence and then tell people what that sentence means. That's lovely. I, you know, you briefly touched on a little bit of your personal experience and your personal journey and exploration with this. And I think I'm just kind of curious of, you know, your own journey towards realizing like, okay, I think like this is 
the word that describes me or, or kind of coming to the realization of like, I think my gender is Dara. Um, can you give us a sense of like kind of what that process was like for you? Is it just like a lot of thought exercises for you or, or kind of like what were the turning points for you, if you don't mind sharing that? Oh, yeah, I'd be glad to. Uh, I would say that, I mean, the in the, when I was 30, which was almost 14 years ago, is when um, I definitely realized that I was, at the time, gay. And so that was like this first layer of unrepressing. I mean, I had been unrepressing for 10 years at that point, but finally saying like, mm. you know what, this is going on, this is true. And then it took another 10 years of that before, so it was 2014, I was already working with a lot of transgender clients at that point, and I had maybe two non-binary clients. And I remember even with them, I was like, what is this non-binary? You know, <laughs> tell me more. And I kept messing up pronouns, and I was just a hot mess about it. But I went to a conference in Philadelphia, and it was a non-binary workshop, and I went to it as just a clinician, like, ooh, now I better learn more about this. And I'm still surprised by what happened in that workshop because they said, let's go around the room and introduce yourselves and also tell us if you're cisgender, meaning that you do align with your gender assigned at birth or if you're transgender. And now looking back on that, that was a weird question because you can, you don't have to identify just as cisgender or transgender, but yeah. I knew that I did not feel comfortable identifying as cisgender. And I, that would just blew me away. I was so surprised. Mm. Like my name tag said, my pronouns are she, her. And um, so when it came to my turn, I just said, I don't know what just happened, but I'm a little confused because I feel like I can't answer either way. And of course, it was this amazing space of people like, <laughs> yeah. validating and affirming. Uh, and I remember that, let's see, it was probably about six months later that I decided it was time to write my book, which um, specifically is a workbook to help people figure out their gender identity. So I did not know, again, that I was writing this book to help Self as well as others. So it took me about a year and a half to write the book. So that was going on. And I started to, I would say what I started doing just because I wasn't sure what was going on was um, uh, lessen how much femininity I was expressing. So mm -hmm. for me, that's what was feeling uncomfortable. And it was even like, I'm going to stop carrying this bag. Well, actually, I was like, I'm going to start carrying it around like a satchel, like across my shoulder, <laughs> like, you know, diagonal. I, right. don't know, I thought that was a big step. Um, and then eventually huh. I just stopped carrying it. And I'm like, I'm just going to carry my phone in this wallet case. Little things that I was just like, we all label it male or female, mm -hmm. masculine or feminine. But over a period of, at this point, I would say it was probably about, three and a half years, just changing my hairstyle, getting different tattoos, like just kind of like moving away from what felt uncomfortable, moving towards what felt comfortable. And that was just the, the Dara-ness coming out. Mm. And then, but still, you know, it felt to me like the more and more I did that, the less comfortable I felt being gender as female. Mm -hmm. So I feel like based on what you just said about writing your workbook and kind of realizing you were writing that for yourself, you could kind of, I would suggest as part of your marketing to do like the hair club for men thing and be like, I'm not only the CEO and founder of conversations with a gender therapist. I'm also a client. Also client. <laughs> so yeah, there's totally some done that. <laughs> <laughs> so You're for like, your testimonial for your late night exactly. TV infomercials, I definitely recommend putting that on there. Yeah. I haven't used that phraseology. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, well, I, I think so. Yeah, you're you're um, you talking about kind of putting down the things that felt more feminine to you and maybe picking up the things that felt more masculine to, to you. And then eventually it's less about feminine, masculine, just what feels more Dara to you. I think that actually leads mm-hmm. great. Uh, that's a great segue into our next question. Yeah, which is, um, we were recently at a conference and um, a person spoke up and, and they said that uh, they often felt as though they were, even by people who considered themselves not non-binary, I uh, they didn't feel androgy- androgynous enough or or like they were on one spectrum or the other enough to be taken seriously as non-binary. And I wonder from a standpoint of someone who is cisgendered or anyone, just how how can someone make a person feel um, as as uh, I guess, sort of open and and supported as possible, um, even in those situations where, they feel as though they're not taken seriously calling themselves non-binary just simply because they don't look a specific way or or they do fall on the spectrum from societal pressures of of looking or sounding or being more feminine or masculine. Mm-hmm. I think this is a huge issue for so mm-hmm. many people who are non-binary because um, I would say for myself, uh, not on purpose, I fall kind of into a typical pattern of non-binariness where I do have a more androgynous appearance and that that's what I'm comfortable with but I also know there's almost like a privilege to that like you know sure people to a certain extent are like you must be queer or something based on what I'm seeing here um so I something (laughs) something going on based on this situation I'm seeing (laughs) here thank you but um I'm in the process of creating an online course to train other therapists how to work with non-binary clients and what I did was I put out kind of an APB uh, to those who I know on Facebook who are non-binary to say will you be willing to be profiled in this presentation mm-hmm. and it was awesome because I got this wide range of people there are definitely those who were non-binary and they're like yeah you look pretty androgynous but then I had people who were assigned male at birth I had people who were assigned female at birth who were still, you know, if you looked at them, you're like, God, you look pretty binary to me. Mm-hmm. Therefore, how invalidating it feels. Absolutely. And they don't feel like they're seen, you know, there's some who are assigned female at birth who are, they want to take hormone therapy that helps them feel um, less gender dysphoria, but then they grow a beard and their voice drops and they're like, great, now I'm being seen as a man. Mm-hmm. I really, I am non-binary, but now it's like this difficult choice to have to make. Mm-hmm. So you're absolutely right that there's, um, you know, non-binary can look like, can honestly look like anything. Um, and I've been practicing, especially since I've been getting serious about my pronouns, that I'm reminding myself as I move through the world that I don't know what anybody's gender identity is or their pronouns until they actually tell me. So I'll even refer to somebody like my barista at Starbucks and Mm. I'm just like, they, 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 them did this. Mm. And until I know otherwise, um, and if it's somebody I interact with on a regular basis, I've made sure to have like the pronoun, the conversation. conversation Yeah. And usually I say, could you use my name instead of ma'am? And then they're like, Oh yeah, you come in here all the time. Like that's totally cool. Uh, so where did that tangent come from? Oh, yes. And so being able to, to I think that's a great way, you know, for, for you and your listeners to approach this is to start, you have to practice it. You have to remind yourself, I don't know what anybody's gender identity is or their pronouns unless I actually ask them. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Absolutely. 
Yeah, and actually on That's on, on that subject, something that I just wanted to bring up on the show because I don't think we've talked about it on here, but this was brought up to us when we, uh, for our Patreon-only Facebook group, uh, one of the things that people do when they're signing up is they like read through our guidelines of how to interact in that group. And one of the questions that we had on that thing they fill out is your preferred pronouns. And someone pointed out to us, they're like, actually saying preferred pronouns is in itself a little bit invalidating rather than just asking, mm. what are your pronouns? Mm. As in is in saying preferred kind of implies that they're not your real pronouns, but you like to use these instead or, or it kind of, um, anyway, it's something very interesting. So we obviously, you know, changed that on our site. Uh, but I was curious, was that something that you've also, you know, encountered people saying that, or that, that is a... That's amazing you brought that up because I was just thinking about that about an hour ago. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it was because it's, it's been only, I've only caught wind of it maybe within a couple months ago that saying preferred pronoun, maybe it was about six months ago, that saying preferred pronoun is, um, like you said, for the reasoning that you mentioned, is, is falling out of fashion. Mm -hmm. And let's use new terminology and language for that. And I didn't really notice anybody taking it very seriously until like maybe the last couple of months where now people are sort of saying, hey, by the way, like if you say that, that's, um, you know, invalidating to a certain extent. But preferred pronoun, it was used for several years on a regular, regular basis. And so it is right. going to be, it's one of those things where even for myself, I was making my, the reason I was thinking about it is because I'm making my online course and I'm recording and, and I said something like, hey, you, as a therapist, you can have a poster up in your office, my poster says, my preferred pronoun is she, you know, she, her. And I was like, oh no, I just said preferred, um, my posters are now up, out of date and I need to go, you know, I mean, obviously I can go back and erase need to get that, a Sharpie. I, I was, I was trying to decide if I should just leave that in there or take it out because it does kind of prove the point where it's like, yes, this was totally cool at one point in time, but now more dialogue is happening around this. And now, sure, good points are being made about why that's not that's that's not quite exactly the language that's best to use right yeah i i appreciate that and i would i would recommend leaving it in to have that conversation because i know that mm. for like for myself i that had never even occurred to me that that would be a thing and if i went to a site or a workshop and they said you know ask someone what are your pronouns i might still go into my practice and say what are your preferred pronouns mm. because i've heard mm. that somewhere and so that's rattling around in there and not even realize that that's a distinction worth making mm. um, yeah so yeah same that's here same here right. i need some practice <laughs> to stop using that there's a facebook group i'm in it's really awesome but sorry it's just for therapists who work with uh, <laughs> well. uh, lgbt clients but that conversation like comes up all the time in there and all the therapists are kind of freaking out like, Oh my gosh, like I gotta change my paperwork. I gotta change my mm. website. And, but it's, but everyone's taking it really seriously. And you know, once the conversation started about that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I'm sorry to keep coming back around to the language thing, but I, I don't know. Cause it's like on the one hand, I think I see a lot of people get frustrated and not just around this particular topic. Like I see people get frustrated of like, Oh, like what words can I say? What words can I say? But then I feel like there's this other side of it. That's actually really exciting about the fact that like, we're in a time where thing people are talking and things are changing and it is just kind of these building blocks that continue to evolve. Um, yeah, it, yeah. It reminds me, actually, we talked with someone, gosh, this was quite a while ago, but someone who at their workplace were trying to educate other, other people that they worked with in a, it was like in sales and it was like a fairly conservative workspace. 
Um, but this person, uh, you know, she identified as polyamorous, but like wasn't out at work because it was a fairly conservative place, but was still in charge of like the department of HR about, you know, educating people about these things, about how to be more respectful. And in, in talking to her, one of the things we came to was this idea that when you're talking to these people at work, their answer will, will often be something like, uh, well, you know, whatever, it's fine. Like no one here is bothered by that. Like no one said Mm. anything. And, to say, well, that's an assumption entirely. (laughs) Right. Is to kind of bring up that. Yeah. But if you're, even if that were true and maybe it's not, people might be hurt by it and just not say anything because they don't want to get made fun of more or be made more uncomfortable Mm. because they don't feel safe to do it. Like number one, but even number two, when dealing with your clients, they're trying to please you the same way you're trying to please them. And they might laugh along with something that makes them very uncomfortable. And then you're mm-hmm. losing business mm-hmm. is like, mm-hmm. even though you won't even know why it'll because they'll say it's for some other reason, <laughs> but to kind of bring this up of just like having these conversations about language, I think is very related where people might be like, Oh, now we have to go to all this trouble. And it's like, you might've actually been hurting yourself in the way that you were speaking beforehand, right. not even realizing that you were making connections not possible for yourself or losing mm-hmm. out on business or mm-hmm. you know offending potential clients without even realizing it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah. but w- so that was about, about sexual orientation specifically, but I feel like it applies with this too. You know, oh, that- yeah, 100%. Like in the course I'm creating, there's a whole section about microaggressions. And so, mm. I mean, we all, uh, you know, I, I'm guilty as well. I'm sure I commit them all the time when it comes to um, marginalized groups that I'm not a part of. And, yeah. you know, I know that I'm like, oh, I wish, I hope somebody tells me, you know, if I, if I mm. say whether it's a client or a friend or anybody, but I know how hard that is on my side when I'm, um, and, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm sure you all experience it too, where I'm like, oh, that thing just happened. That person just said, like I have a friend who just, um, he just, every time he Facebook messages me, he's like, Hey girl, what's up? And I'm like, when am I going to tell him to stop doing that? Like, uh, I mean, I've yeah. known him for over 10 years. So it's like, because I've known him for so long, I'm like, I know you've been used to that. And then I just feel like a pain in the butt. So then I'm like, Oh, I, I get it. I know what it feels like to then sort of, like you said, Jace, just say, all right, maybe later, or I'll just move past it or I'll chuckle about it. But, um, it's difficult cause you want the people, you know, everybody to kind of be paying attention and not commit the microaggression. But then for the person who it happens to, there is sort of this burden of responsibility to then say like, well, if I don't say something, how are they going to know about it? Right. Yeah. But then unless, yeah. they're re- unless they're really woke. Then. Right. Well, but then at the same time, I feel like sometimes it comes down to an energy and emotional labor thing because dare I, I'm sure in your position, like this is your job and this is the stuff you mm-hmm. talk about and think about all day, every day and write about all yeah. the time. And so then sometimes you get at the end of the day and someone messages you, Hey girl. And I imagine maybe you're kind of like, you're just like, fuck it. I don't <laughs> keep having this conversation Hi. tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's a awesome point it's so true. i mean i know that like that's that's honestly um i don't know if this is necessarily like a microaggression thing but that's how i end up feeling in talking about polyamory or non-monogamy or things mm-hmm. like that is that like i spend all day writing about it or coaching and then and then on the internet someone makes a dumb comment about non-traditional relationships and i just want to be like oh god like no i just can't right now you know right. i just don't have the energy right. for yeah, it for sure yeah. or they make an assumption about monogamy you know and just mm-hmm. like, saying something that and you're like oh you're totally just assumed i'm in a you know monogamous and um knowing how yeah that's a great example of it it's like yeah. anybody you know listening to the show like they 
probably experience a microaggression about that on a regular basis. Yeah. And then, yeah, it could depend on, did you get enough sleep that night? Are you hungry? You got to check in and be like, God, this is going to take a, a bit of energy for me to actually step up and say something about this. Right. right yeah, definitely. good point. Yeah, like in our in our conversation about... Um, Gosh, I'm I'm blanking on his name right now. About studies about polyamory, um, do you remember his name? Oh, uh, oh. Ryan research, Witherspoon. Ryan, Ryan Witherspoon. Ryan Witherspoon. Yes. That, yeah. that he talked about that in the studies that he's been doing about uh, non-monogamous people, and it's the the way that having to do that constant like mental arithmetic of like, is it worth it right now for me to bring up this thing to spend that energy to address this, or do I just not and kind of let it go like kind of like you're saying like do i want to take the time to do this right now and he was talking about just how that quality itself is a mentally tiring thing that definitely affects us on a day-to-day basis and being you know a straight polyamorous person you might experience a little bit of that especially being like a straight polyamorous white person i should say you would experience a tiny taste of that Mm -hmm. but then the more uh, you know, minorities or more disenfranchised groups that you're a part of that can really add up to be this kind of mm-hmm. mentally exhausting thing every day. Right. That that even yourself might not be aware that that's going on. You know, right. I found yeah, that really interesting sure. when he was mentioning that. Yeah. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy, or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. Okay, so I actually have a question. Um, this is... Okay, so so I'll give you some context. So the other day, um, I was playing um, a, a, a board game. This well, is the nerdy section of the this show. This is the nerdy section of the show. <laughs> oh my God. I was playing... Um, it's fine. I was playing a board game uh, called Gloomhaven, but for... 
our listeners out there, it's essentially like um, like Dungeons and Dragons, if you're familiar with that type of a game, where you have a character that you're going to live with for quite a while and play through multiple sessions. And anyway, my character, and there's all sorts of different races of people, not mm-hmm. just like elves and gnomes, but things that you haven't heard of in other games. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was playing this one particular one where... Um, we learned that there was a race in the game that doesn't have gender. And so all of their gender pronouns are they. And I was like, oh, that's that's really neat. Like that, that that's a part actually written into the game. Uh, and I decided that I wanted my character to be like that, um, even though it wasn't of that race. I was like, I based on how I feel this character, I was like, I would also want to be they. Uh, and I was explaining this to one of the people I was playing with. I was like, so my, my character's non-gender conforming. And he was like, well, but, but like they have a gender though. So like, what is their gender? And I was like, well, no, like that's not, that's, it doesn't matter. Like the point is that they don't identify with, with either one and prefer to be they. He's like, yeah, but, but they have a gender. So like, what's that? Uh, And just kind of, and I, I realized in having that conversation that I didn't have a lot of great sort of succinct ways of putting things to explain to someone because it's not my lived experience every day. It's not something mm. that I have to explain every day. Whereas I find with polyamory, I've gotten to the point after several years now where in that situation, I don't want to have a whole conversation about it. I have like short things I can say that people kind of get that are somewhat accessible. So they go, huh okay, all right, I guess I can take that. You know, kind of that bare minimum thing. And I realized when it came to gender, I didn't have that. I was like, shit, I, like, I don't know how to have this conversation. And the, the thing that I finally came back to, and luckily someone else playing was also on board, and the way that she put it was, she's like, well, why would you need to know unless you were going to have sex with them? Like, th- this kind well, of but like... but even then. <laughs> even then, yeah, I guess. But just that kind of like why do you need to know that was sort of the question. And that's sort of the best we could do. I was curious if you found any sort of better uh, sort of shorthands or like little statements to bring up, to help people understand in a way that is succinct to not, not have to. That's really neat that you had that. <laughs> like you had to like for a minute be like, wow, this is non-binary. Cause I kind of put myself in your shoes. Like if somebody said to me, like, well, what is your gender? Like, and I still feel like, I don't know. I'm like, my gender's Dara. Like, that's my <laughs> answer. But I still feel like, you know, that's just like, go away answer kind of thing. Right. Uh, so I think the answer of like, well, why does it matter? That, I think that's a great response. You kind of have to probably be ready for a further discussion with that because that person might be like, well, here's where it matters. And then you would want to follow on with that. So kind of like what we were talking about earlier, it could be like, well, you know, just to let you know that if you're non-binary, which means you don't feel like you're male or female, um, it's possible that you could feel like you have no gender. And that could be the answer. So that person's like, no, what is your gender? You're like, no, it's okay. Like that exists, that somebody can feel like they have no gender. Um, So that could be a short answer for that because uh, like I said, there's, there's the category of feeling like you have no gender. There's a category of feeling like you have a fluid gender. There's a category where you feel like you are multiple genders. Um, and so all of that is a possibility underneath that. Hmm. Well, I also, I don't know. I think that makes total sense. I feel like in that context, like my question is like, is that person just trying to ask what body parts does this person have? I, like, 
I feel you like just want to know how how do they physically imagine this person in their brain? Like, well, yes, and I feel like that's part of what I was getting at is mm-hmm. when when he kept insisting like no, but they have a gender. Meaning what I think he meant by that, and we didn't go into a whole conversation because we wanted to actually play the game. Uh, it's like, but, what genitalia do you have? Well, like, I think this that's is the I, game. I think that's what he meant. Yeah, was that yeah. was what it's like what biological sex have. did this oh, character yeah. okay. have? Right. I so, think you're right that it really depends on the situation and the person yeah. you're mm-hmm. talking to and how much you want to like delve in and be like, what are you really? I mean, that would be you know, what are you really trying to ask here? Like, yeah. Why does it matter? And then if they go there, when it comes to the genitalia, then that's, you know, depending on how far you want to take the conversation. Again, it's like, um, you know, why does it matter unless you know th- want to know this person intimately? Um, and like you said, Dedeker, yeah. that would just be more like, then that would just be its own conversation. Right. Separately for itself. Right. Unless you have good like reason they had, to. They had a beef. <laughs> well, yeah. They did. It's... For no good reason. <laughs> That's stupid. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, I guess that's, that's the thing that I find is sometimes difficult to have this like conversations about gender with people who haven't already spent some time Mm. like reading about it and thinking about it and discussing it because there is this confusion between, you know, gender and sex for one. And like this conflagration if i'll be all wordy here between like gender and body parts that like those are inherently linked rather than they're linked because we're raised a certain way Mm. and it's more of like how we've been identified to the world and how the world identifies us Mm. uh that conversation is hard because it's just like well no like i am who i am because i have this genitalia or i have a beard or whatever it is like that i present with these these Mm. features whereas like in reality it's the way that society has treated you because those features you have Mm. but it's like getting that bridge there i just wondered if you had any kind of ways of like how do you intro people this to who've never even thought about it before like does that Mm -hmm. does that come up very often for you uh, I would say if I dabble on the social media in areas <laughs> that I usually don't dabble, yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah, true. In my safe zone a lot of times. Yes, um, yeah. but you never know; somebody will pop up, like a like a friend of a friend of a cousin or something like that. I'm like, right here, uh, it's good practice because then I'm like, well, I gotta bring in my 101 skills, maybe even like pre 101. Uh, <laughs> yeah. because I think it's important to be able to, you know, again, like figure out like. I think it really is important just for even like an emotional safety kind of thing. Like for me to figure out where's this person coming from? Like, why do they want to know this and how willing are they to listen and Mm -hmm. learn? Because me personally, I'm not into getting into a debate where I can tell it's going to get like caustic and kind of nasty because I just don't have time for that. Like I put them over here on this side, like you are not going to change. Like you just want to be argumentative. Mm -hmm. You have your own repressed projection that you're doing right now for those who are kind of like you know I don't get it I'm kind of ignorant this is what I've learned but I'm willing to listen to what you have to say then totally I'd be like happy to have that conversation Mm. to talk about how these secondary sex characteristics that we know about that are quote male and female that they need to you know the separation between that and gender identity needs to that's just the first step is to be Mm. able to separate that from one another knowing that each person who is not um, doesn't feel aligned with their gender assigned at birth is going to be different when it comes to their comfort level 
with either their genitalia or their chest um, or their or their hormone makeup and that um, it can change over time as well the more that they learn and discover about themselves. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I think that's so interesting that you talked about finding that distinction between you know, I guess, especially if we're talking about this in an online context, um, which is so where so many of us live these <laughs> yeah. days. Um, God, uh, but yes. that distinction between like telling who's the person who, again, is like not going to change their mind and is kind of like out to get me or is out to like make a scene or whatever versus who's the person who could learn something, maybe even wants to learn something is just ignorant or using the wrong language or something like that. And I think it's so important to be able to tell that difference. And I think the, I think the kind of sad thing is, is I feel like what I see a lot online around topics like this is a lot of people kind of using, um, I guess like either wasting energy on the people who are definitely not going to change, mm-hmm. you know, like wasting energy on arguing with people who are not going to change, or it's kind of wasting energy on like attacking the people who are just uneducated, but who do want to learn. Um, mm. I feel like we see a lot yeah. of that too. And that's so hard, you know, like, like a newbie pops into a group and like uses the wrong pronoun or uses the wrong language, mm. you know, like says transsexual when they should have said trans or something. And that person gets kind of dogpiled on as it were. Um, and well, this is, I just, this just comes up just because of the fact that we've been talking about this in online communities a lot. And um mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I'm not sure how to kind of get us all culturally more on that bandwagon of being able to tell the difference between those two things. Oh, sure. Like, and I think that's, uh, it makes, I'm so cognizant of that because it makes me so sad when it's like, it is a person who really just made a mistake. Right. They didn't know. I mean, I've done that with other, you know, marginalized groups by mistake. And, Definitely. You know, I know the difference between being like, oh, by the way, like I did, I said something uh, ableist the other day on Facebook and I didn't, I I said something about turning a blind eye to something and someone's like, by the way, that's ableist. That's all they said. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh crap, like, I'm so sorry. That was all, you know, and, but I have also been told in other ways um, when I've said something and I know how it feels when I'm scolded and I'm, Mm -hmm. and then even when I apologize and I say, I'll, I'll change it and I'm going to learn about this and still being told you know, wow, I'm really surprised that you did that. I'm, you know, and just, whew, you know, being able to feel what that feels like. Yeah. I don't want to make anyone feel like that. If it turns out that they are open to hearing the feedback. Um, I had a good example last week. There was a podcast I did and it's a therapist who runs this podcast and it's heard like it's a really popular therapist podcast. Uh, and he accidentally misgendered me like in the introduction and the outro and in all the publicity uh, using mm-hmm. she, her pronouns. And I had already let him know that I used Dara or they, them. And Mm -hmm. that ended up, but you know, the conversation we had after that was amazing. Like, and there's all, he's going to take my course and he's going to subscribe to my newsletter. He was was just like, oh my gosh, like I, this has been really humbling. He re-recorded the intro and explained what happened in it. There were other therapists that like chimed in and were like, hey, you misgendered Dara. Like, you know, we noticed that we know that Dara uses they, them pronouns. And so, but that was a good example of like, I wanted to be sure, like, I need to like be compassionate as I let this person know that this happened because this is going to be like a public thing mm-hmm. that everyone's going to see in this group. It worked out really well. I'm really grateful. Um, I'm not surprised because this person, he's, he's really a kind and compassionate soul. So I knew that going into it. Um, but, um, you know, otherwise it really is kind of tricky to navigate this and be 
you know, I'm sure you've experienced it too. At times you're like, so how do I say this to somebody who just made an assumption about monogamy? Um, and mm. knowing, like you said, how much energy, I mean, I was just like exhausted after those couple of days of having those <laughs> conversations mm, as important as they were. Like you said, I'm like, oh, this is my personal life and my professional life. And let's just like take, you know, take a break from it. But, you know, that's what we do as activists and in the roles that we are, we're kind of on 24 seven. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, so being on 24-7 combined with social media, that's also on 24-7. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. yeah. Check Facebook real quick. Yeah. Oh, Seriously. <laughs> never mind. I never should have. <laughs> <laughs> so you you talked about, um, you know, kind of mostly being a, in a safe zone most of the time. And I know that definitely what the three of us have experienced, you know, uh, for those of us that generally spend most of our time living in more liberal areas geographically, or even spending time online in areas, um, you know, safe spaces online that, um, you know, that kind of more align with our values and use the same language and, and mm -hmm. things like that. And it can be easy to lose sight um, of how much blowback people who are non-cisgendered get in our culture at large. And that's not just with having to do with genders, also people who are gay or non-white or non-Christian or non-monogamous, all these things, you know, that that we can kind of create our little safe space and then start to forget like, oh gosh, there is kind of this big, uh, much less forgiving world out there. Um, you know, right now, like I have a friend who lives on the East Coast who's non-cisgender and uh, she's just like having a hell of a time, okay. you, you know, with people, um, you know, doxing her and like having a hard time at job interviews and just getting a lot of blowback. And I guess I'm wondering is, you know, for people in these situations who like who aren't living geographically in a place that's very supportive or very safe, um, are there any specific resources that you might recommend for people to uh, take advantage of outside of, you know, just telling people move to a safer city, you know, which is not, which is not an option for everyone. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's a great question because I, um, get a lot of messages from people who absolutely live in areas like that. And so, um, well, I guess not to have it as a cop out, but definitely finding support online mm -hmm. <laughs> again is really nowadays can be really, really helpful. I mean, I've even had, um, somebody who's, I mean, people write to me from all over the world and, I recently had a new client in Colorado, but uh, she had moved from Puerto Rico and said while she was living there, she's like, your YouTube channel just really got me through a lot of, mm. you know, hard times and just feeling like there's somebody who's keeping me company who understands. And I was like, what? It's like, that's <laughs> amazing. Like sometimes I don't realize the reach that these um, sort of, this sort of information can have. So being able to, you know, find people, not only like maybe who you, like, you know, who you don't know, like on YouTube, for instance, but then connecting. I use Facebook a lot, so that's why I use it as an example. But you can use Reddit and mm. Instagram and finding people you can be able, you know, that you can, you know, connect with and talk to throughout the day when it's been difficult yeah. or maybe even make plans to like get together with. Um, I think if there's any way possible that you can locate some sort of queer friendly or trans friendly place in your state, even if it takes like a two or three hours to drive to it. And you know, once every two months, I'm going to go to that place. That's where mm -hmm. this support group is. That's where this, um, you know, 
this uh, center is, just some place that you know that you can just sometimes take this respite and be mm. in a place where you can feel very safe and accepted. So, you know, and, and there's, you know, you can Google that kind of stuff to see if there's any place in your state. Um, and even finding like a therapist in your area who can maybe help you out. I do have a video on my YouTube channel called How to Find a Gender Therapist. And mm. so there's like a lot of different ways you can even find somebody who's trans friendly to be able to talk to about this and get their support to try to help you get through all of this. And just knowing again, that there's somebody there who's going to be able to help you through that. Right. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. that's, that's great. Just yeah. to, how important that is, even if it's something you can only get to not that often, mm -hmm. just like how, how restoring that right. can be to like have a space for a little while where you're not, constantly having to do that evaluating of like, who can I bring this up to? What can I say? Mm. Who should I call what out on things? What energy do I have to answer questions? Yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's important to have that space so that where you can feel validated and seen um, and affirmed. And a lot of times that can even maybe take you further on your journey when it, when you're like, okay, that felt really good. I would like to be like that more often. Mm. You know, how can I mm. take that next step? Because that happens in my my clients a lot um it's you know i'll have clients who they come to see me and they'll change their outfit in the bathroom and mm -hmm. you know let's let's say that they are you know they are a woman inside but everybody sees them as a man and they'll they'll change into clothes that they feel more comfortable in they'll just sit during session with me and then they'll go back to the bathroom and change again before they mm -hmm. leave and even if that's their one time every two weeks where they wow. can feel like that, wow. you know, the hope is that they want to be able to make it more often, but right. they could come in like that for several months before they even think like there's, I had one client where she was like, I think today I want to actually go to my car dressed like this. And would you, you know, I was like, well, I'll go with you if you want. And so we walked out together to her car. And then like, after that, she was like, you know what? That was like a lot less difficult than I thought it was. Mm -hmm. I think I'm ready like to, go pump gas like this and wow. go to Starbucks mm -hmm. like this. And um, those are those little, just being able to start in one place where you can feel safe and affirmed. It can really make a big difference. Wow. How wonderful. It's wonderful. Yeah, that's wow. great. Um, so, so you mentioned earlier that you have this course that you're creating that's for therapists and counselors and professionals, but you mentioned to us earlier that it's also something that, that anyone could could also sign up for as well. Is that correct? Can you tell us a little more oh, about yeah. that course? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's no, like you don't have to prove you're a therapist to sign up for the course or anything like that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's definitely, the thing is that the, the content in this is very non-binary 101. So there's discussion about here's why there's so no, many non-binary identities. Um, here's the different ways people who are non-binary will use pronouns and names. And here's different ways you can practice this in your life every day to make sure you're being more um, aware of the fact that there are non-binary people in the world. Uh, the reason, like for the advice is given for therapists very specifically, like you said, Jace, because it's in the therapist's best interest for for business, besides just being a nice mm -hmm. human being, mm -hmm. to make sure they're they're doing this right. I took a I put out a survey and asked a lot of non-binary people how they how comfortable did they feel that maybe they could find a therapist that would be non-binary aware, and it mm. was at about you know fifty percent or a little mm. bit less, understandably. And the, I pulled therapists, and they said they felt like around fifty percent confident in themselves mm. to be able mm. to provide that service. So there's definitely a gap. 
there um, that's needed. So, but I would say a lot of the information in this course is is just general non-binary 101 stuff that um, almost anybody could really um, pay attention to and get nice. to know. Excellent. Right. And so, and that's an online course then that they can sign up for through your site or how, how would they find that? Yeah, sure. Um, the link that I'm going to provide to you is through teachable.com. And so uh, I'm going to, I, this is the first time I'm trying out that platform, but I've heard a lot of good things about it. And so, yeah, basically you can go to the, uh, this page and sign up for the course and you go at it at your own pace. You know, you pretty much can watch you know, like this one segment of the video. And if you're like, oh, that's great. That, that's good for today. And check back again in a, in a few days. It's not something you have to make sure you set aside a chunk of time to do. Mm. It's definitely um, self-directed. Great. Great. Excellent. Cool. And that link uh, we will have on our write-up for this episode. Uh, and you mentioned that there's an early bird price right now too, right? So for about a week before the course comes out is so they can still yeah. get the early bird price. Yeah, on June 11th is officially when the course will be launched. And so at that point, um, it's going to go up to $40, but um, the early bird price is $30. So mm -hmm. based on when, um, yeah, this episode's being aired, you'll have a, a little less than a week to get in at that early bird price. But you won't have to wait very long <laughs> to be able to then have the course arrive in your, right. in your email box. Excellent. Awesome. Awesome. So thank you so much. And if you could just leave our listeners with uh, where they can find more of your work, obviously we'll have those links in our show notes, but uh, like real quick, your website and your YouTube channel, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have this umbrella called conversations with a gender therapist. And underneath that, I have a Facebook page by that name, I have a YouTube channel by that name. Um, my website is darahoffmanfox.com, but I also have put that underneath that umbrella. Uh, and let's see. So if you're interested in my book, you can buy it um, directly from me, which is at discoveryourgenderidentity.com. And if you order it through that website, then I will sign the book and you'll also get a, a free copy of the ebook, which is like a PDF. Um, but by all means, I know a lot of people buy these sort of things through Amazon uh, because it could be a little cheaper and also free shipping. So however you want to acquire the book, I would be happy for you to do so. Excellent. Right. Awesome. Well, this is great. I feel like we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours, but yeah. thank you as always <laughs> for coming too. back. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. And I feel like I learned so much today. I know, yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm so yeah. happy to hear that. Great. Definitely. It's been great to talk to you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to get in touch with us, you can send us an email to info at multiamory.com or send us a message on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can also leave us a voicemail at 678-M-U-L-T-I-05. Or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. To support our show and join our private Facebook community, go to patreon.com slash multiamory. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. <laughs> <laughs>